Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Female Footballers Podcast. My name is Cassie Gray. I am your host, and I am joined by two of our staff members, our COO, Haley Lucas, and our content and curriculum development coordinator, Rachel Thomas. Can you guys say hi? Hi there. Hello. All right. And we are having our podcast session today, a day after the reports came out from Sally Yates. Um, after a year-long investigation, Sally Yates um, gave her report to the USSF, the United States Soccer Federation, um, with recommendations, and every news outlet covered this, and it was kind of a rehashing of what happened a year ago when a lot of the NWSL coaches got let go, and um, players at the time had to come forward, and uh, they spent the last year basically looking over, interviewing I think they interviewed over 200 people um, in trying to get the story straight and what exactly happened. And that report was published yesterday. Um, the report was about 172 pages. Um, for the most part, it was honed in on three coaches um, in particular and the accusations that um, were covered had most to do with sexual assault, emotional and verbal abuse. and um, it was just really, really hard to read. Um, thoughts, let's just go over thoughts first. What do you guys think? I think for me, it was um, difficult to go through them. Uh, there were a lot of emotions and it was kind of hard for me to express. And I think one of them that was kind of surprising to me, I guess, was feeling kind of lucky in a way because this could have very well happened to me when I was playing professional soccer. I dealt with sexual harassment in clubs that I played at. Um, and I'm very lucky that it didn't escalate to that level. Um, but also just very, very empathetic and sad um, for my peers that have gone through it and hoping that this sort of light and how um, how deeply it was reported is going to finally bring some change that is needed because this has been going on for a very long time. It's not unique to soccer, but it's, and even to sports in general, but it is a women's sports issue that is, needs to be addressed. How about you, Rach? Yeah, I guess the first, the first reaction is, is, you know, sadness and just feeling for these, um, young women who, who went through this or, and maybe still are and currently, and, and the, particularly the part, of course, the professional leagues, that's like where it should be the best, right? We should be providing these players with the best environments to, to play the best soccer. And if it's happening there and then reading that it's like a systemic thing amongst youth and knowing stories from all different people in different areas, um, it's just sort of, it's just so, it makes me so sad <laughs> and then angry. Um, so, but also uh, hopeful that this, this does help make change because clearly um, this is happening way too much. Yeah, I'm obviously sad and um, commend all of these women who came forward for their bravery and speaking about such a really hard thing. Um, but I'm angry and I'm pissed. And um, 
I'm not surprised. And I think that's what makes me angry is that it's not surprising. And um, Rachel and I are from a generation that is a little bit different from Haley. And I think generationally, um, the feelings change a little bit, meaning um, I think that this is such a systemic issue that people of my generation who played primarily youth soccer in their 90s, college and professional soccer in the early 2000s, um, this is, it, it's, we have been completely conditioned to accept behaviors of emotional and verbal abuse um, and even sexual, just being terrified to speak up. Um, and I think Haley, your generation is probably similar, but I would say um, you having graduated college in 2018 and playing Pearl in the last few years um, with the, the Me Too movement and Time's Up that happened a few years ago that started a conversation of what a lot of these soccer players have been going through. And I think that it's more accepted um, to come forward than it used to. Um, but I'm, I'm pissed and I'm gonna tell you why I'm pissed. Um, so I first was reading about this on the Washington Post and I wanna be very clear. A lot of different publications have different stats about this. Like there were three publications I found that said the report was 319 pages. There were five that said it was 172 pages. I started to question the actual report. <laughs> then I downloaded the report and for me, I saw 172 pages. I don't know which one I got. Um, then I was reading um, the Washington Post, some of the quotes that stood out to me that I posted on our uh, social media channels said, abuse in the NWSL is rooted in a deeper culture in women's soccer beginning in youth leagues that normalizes verbally abusive coaching and blurs boundaries between coaches and players. The verbal and emotional abuse players describe in the NWSL is not merely tough coaching and the players affected are not shrinking violets. They are among the best athletes in the world. The Washington Post went on to say, the report also highlighted cultural issues that remain prevalent in women's soccer beginning at the youth level the report states that players, coaches, and staff were conditioned to accept and respond to abusive coaching behaviors as youth players. By the time they reach the professional level, many do not recognize the conduct as abusive. So when we're talking about generations, back to that, in, I'm gonna talk about mine and Rachel, kind of our generational experience, and you help me change anything that you'd like. And Haley, I wanna hear from yours, but from the generation I'm from, um, I think that we are so conditioned that a lot of the response from women my age and older is these girls are being soft or they're sensitive, overly sensitive or um, they're making stuff up or whatever. And I think that, that that response, a lot of the times in my opinion is that you've just been conditioned to think that what you're being told and how you're being spoken to is okay. And it's not okay. Um, and I have a lot of former teammates that don't think they've experienced a lot of this because it was just part of the culture they played in when they don't even recognize that they did experience this. For me personally, um, my high school coach was verbally abusive. Um, my college coach, um, he walked the line of being professional at times and unprofessional. Um, I, as a parent, see unprofessional and verbal abuse all the time on the soccer fields at tournaments. 
Um, and in our organization, we see all of this um, from different uh, levels, I would say. So Rach, do you have more to add to that from our generation? Um, I think there is some, there's definitely the element of like, uh, players being too, you know, being too soft or something now, but I think that, um, you know, I, since, since soccer was still building and especially in this country, when you and I were, um, in the youth system, it, it really is such a different landscape now. And so I think my, my response to anyone who would say they're being too soft is it's a completely different experience than it was um, than when we were going through it. That's not to say that our experience isn't um, helpful in navigating, you know, what they're going through, but um, some of the things that they're experiencing, we just didn't have presented to us. You know, there were, there wasn't club option when I was an eight-year-old to have a toxic coach talking to me in a certain way. Like it was still my, my friend's dad, you know, or, or someone. Um, so I think who, who may or may not have been, you know, toxic, but, um, I think that, you know, the, the commercialization of the youth, uh, sports landscape and particularly the soccer and, especially because of the 99ers and all, everything that came from that, all the awesomeness of access and young, young girls having these women to look up to, um, you know, it, it exploded in so many great ways. And then also the, this sort of thread of this culture that, um, it sounds like kind of comes out of this report. And I think kind of a, why it was allowed to sort of breed to where it's gotten to. And with the age of these professional players, you know, um, they had a, a different youth experience than, than maybe you and I did. Yeah. So Haley, coming from a younger generation, having graduated in 2018 um, from college, um, what what's your experience when it comes to some of this? I would say the lessons, and I don't necessarily think they're for my coaches, but maybe just cultural shifts of my age group is that vulnerability is strength. And I think that really shifted and being able to share your feelings and kind of share these other sides of you had a lot more value. But at the same time, the people in positions of power and the people coaching and providing instruction were of that older generation where it would that was still okay to do that a lot of these people who were in these coaching positions have been coaches in these college or youth but mostly college have been coaches for 20 plus years in that role where there's been a shift of the the youth and how they're approaching the game but not necessarily the same shift from those in those coaching positions and in those positions of power and I'm sure we'll get to this but I can the thing that frustrates me the most and makes me the saddest is not the coaches who are doing these horrible things, but the people around them who are watching it happen and not doing anything about it. The women in positions of power that are allowing other women to be assaulted and when confronted with these issues saying, sorry, or not saying anything at all. That's where the frustration comes from me. And so I am hopeful and excited about the vulnerability piece and the women that are coming forward who are going to be in those positions of power one day. And hopefully, I think there's two ways this can go. It can go, 
I was treated like crap, so I'm going to treat other people like crap because I, that definitely happens. And I've seen that even like how seniors treat freshmen, like, oh, we had to do this and so now you have to do it. Or it's, can we develop the leadership skills, the self-advocacy skills, and these skills in women to say, you know what, when I get to that position, I'm never going to make someone feel like that again. And I think that's where that real shift comes from. And I think that this generation is capable of doing it, but the generational gap right now is not necessarily maybe how we were brought up, but how the people in power are treating that kind of shift. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think that we also need to look at um, kind of what we're seeing um, today, not just in our experience as players, but in our roles now as female footballers, um, our organization. And I think that when we think about the experiences that we see, we deal with players, parents, and coaches. We provide mental skill sessions for all three of them. And um, I think we should start with players and kind of what you're talking about of the vulnerability side. I see that too. I see a lot more girls willing to be vulnerable than I or girls of my generation were. Um, but I also see um, a quietness that I don't feel like was as prominent as it is now. Meaning when you sit with a girl and we work with players all the time in these small group settings or one-on-one, -on -one, we can get a girl to be vulnerable and talk about things. But as a whole group, as a team, girls, when I go to work with these sessions, I feel like they're a lot quieter. I notice a lack of self-esteem, uh, no voice, um, I think there's confusion over whether or not uh, when it's okay to talk and not talk or what's appropriate. I think there's fear to speak up. Um, I think they deal with, like you said, Rachel, it's a completely different landscape than it was when we played. They are in an over-professionalized youth atmosphere where there is body shaming and verbal abuse and emotional abuse. And um, I think that that's, a lot for a young person to deal with and I could say a lot more on this but go ahead if you guys want to add to that like what players are experiencing today and we know from the report what NWSL players are experiencing Haley you could speak on international players very much so in your experience and Rachel and I can talk a lot about youth players because this report and the biggest eye-opening issue that I had with it was its connection to youth soccer and if nobody's paying attention to that, that's what makes me angry. And I would like to shout from the rooftops about how important it is that we take the element that it was referenced in this report very seriously. But what do you guys think? I do wanna add just a quick caveat that I think we talk about, like this is not necessarily related to your question. I will happy to get to that, but I think important to distinguish that the over-professionalization of soccer that we're talking about is treating youth athletes like they are professional athletes in the level of seriousness. But I think a lot of these issues come from a lack of professionalism in sports in general. And what I mean by that is being reliable, setting high standards and holding yourself accountable for your thoughts, words, and actions. That's what being professional is in a profession. You're holding yourself to a very high standard of what the job is. And I think there's a complete failing of that. So I just want to add that piece in because I think it's important when we talk about 
issues. It's a lack of professionalism in areas, but youth soccer is more about, I guess, speeding up that timeline of getting girls from the youth to professional level pipeline. Yeah, it feels, uh, it, it feels like that, uh, what you're talking about, Cassie, that missing sort of element um, or that uh, not, not connecting maybe to their teammate or not knowing how and things like that is th that those missing intangibles of the team and the, the individual as part of the team um, is, is kind of a consequence because of this pipeline that Haley's referring to, you know, because it's, well, where, where am I going to get play to seeing, to be at the tournament, to see this coat, you know, and that whole thing. Um, so I think that's where I, and this is getting away specifically, specifically from the player, but I think that that is another element to, that comes into this whole um, feeling of, of the power also and the power the power play built into this structure as well so I think that's why it was so striking and and to your point Cassie not surprising sadly not surprising that that this is in the, you know that this was a, a systemic issue that we're seeing in the youth level and that that was part of this report and I do think that that needs to be like highlighted um, not to take away from any of the women who came forward, but we needed them to do that so that we can get this change because it is not good for most. There are many girls who are not in good, positive um, environments for their soccer career or their life. You know, it's putting them in bad environments to deal with conflict and not getting these supports or seeing that there are different ways to handle these things or that you shouldn't be treated a certain way or, or, or and how to handle those things, whether it's a coach, a parent, a teammate or whatever. So I really, you know, it, it's always hard when it's systems that need or institutions that need some overhauling. Um, it doesn't happen overnight, but I am hopeful that this can can start pointing the ship in the right direction about what is really so valuable about soccer for for everyone and first particularly for young young girls and young women yeah and i think you kind of jumped ahead to my my uh, like eventual point which is we see how players are affected by this and their experience of um you know feeling like they don't have a voice low self-esteem um, scared to speak up, all these types of things. It's a result of the system. If we go to parents, we can kind of bypass parents and coaches in this. I'm going to talk about them, but it just goes to your point you just made. But when we look at parents, we work with parents and a lot of parents are scared that their daughter is not getting treated correctly. They're scared she's not getting the right type of training. They're scared that she is not going to have the same opportunities as everybody else. And all of that fear ends up leading to parents becoming overly involved and trying to keep tabs on their daughter because they feel like they need to keep you know, an eye out for her because the system is so messed up. And so coaches get mad at parents because parents are too involved, which we've also seen. We've seen parents screaming from the sidelines they contribute to the issues. But from a parent perspective, which I am, I can also see that when there's a system that's so flawed, you're trying to protect your kid. So that adds to this idea of the system issue. Then you look at coaches. And I think like 
coaches, everyone could say are the problem, but I feel for coaches as well. Coaches are put into a system that is not set up for their success. The coaching situation is so messed up, if you ask me. Like, first of all, a typical competitive level female club, whether it's GA or ECML, there is a lack of coaching happening all across America. So most coaches are spread thin to having to coach three to four teams just to make ends meet, especially where I live in the Bay Area. You've got coaches coaching three to four teams just for the paycheck. Those coaches are not being supported by their directors. Their directors, like you said, Haley, are not professional. Like, no offense, sorry if you're a director listening to this. I'm not necessarily saying it's your individual fault. It's a systemic issue, just like all the things we're talking about are systemic issues, but there is nothing set up for that coach that is there to help them find success with the emotional, social and emotional well-being of the player. So for example, there's a quote from the report that I found very fascinating when it comes to coaches. They're, they're under this microscope. They're the ones that are getting screamed at. They're having to take one for the team. But something that was referenced on page 166, if you're interested in looking at the report, current coaching licensing systems are essentially a diploma system which I did double check. I went on to US Soccer and I checked all their, their courses. I also went on to United Soccer Coaches and checked all their courses. All of the courses are a diploma system. That means once you're licensed, that license need not apply for a license renewal, which means that the coach's conduct is not evaluated and the license is not required to take continuing professional development coursework. So when we think about working with children, because we're still talking about how this is a systemic issue in the NWSL that permeates down to the youth system, it's full system. There is no accountability when you're talking about professionalization, Haley, there's no accountability for coaches. Yes, they have to get a license, but when we drive a car, we have to renew our license. As a teacher in education, I get a credential. I have to take professional development every single year and I'm evaluated every other year by my principal. And if I don't meet my criteria, I lose my job. We have to have a license to go fishing. We don't have to renew that one, I guess. But my point is like, this is ridiculous that there's not a, an accreditation program. I didn't think I said that right. An I can't even say that word. Can you help me out here? Did I say that right? Thank you. I'm like struggling right now because I'm so passionate and angry about this. There is no actual program um, that that they have to have professional development. And um, there is actually nothing that says they have mandatory background checks, which is baffling when you're working with children. That's a club choice, I believe, or maybe it's a league choice that the clubs have to be a part of. I know from experience, my husband ran a club for a long time. When he came in to take over the club, he had to fire three of the coaches because those coaches were not willing to take the background check that he in, in, instituted. And many families were mad at my husband thinking he was this like horrible guy who, who like, you know, let these coaches go. And really it was because they weren't, they knew they weren't going to pass the background check, which is so effed up. It's just, this is the part that makes me so angry. So sorry, I can't pronounce words because of it, but what are your guys' thoughts on this?
Yeah, I mean, pointing to what you're saying, like nearly every profession that has a duty of care or works with a child needs to be constantly evaluated and to make sure that those things are happening. And for a lot of these coaching licenses, if there even is kind of a professionalism component, if there even is some type of social emotional learning, which has probably only been tacked on in recent years because we're trying to put a band-aid on problems that are now happening. But the main point of getting a coaching license is proficiency in soccer and trying to worry about the soccer part, which that's not what the issue is. I don't even think that that's a, a, such a small part of a coach's of a coach's job is to teach you soccer, because I think anyone can teach tactics or learn about that. But successful teams are not just the best teams tactically. They have players that work well together. The big thing for me and kind of where this kind of goes, and we've talked about this before related to business and success why would someone who's afraid to show up to work want to perform at a high level for you? I don't really understand that disconnect for these owners of these clubs who were quoted as saying, if you report this or make this a problem, you're going to shut the league down. You're going to collapse the league. I don't know if you're winning games because you're willing to show up to work because you don't fear your boss. I feel like you're going to win games, drive fans, drive business. It's a business decision too. Um, kind of all over the place as well with this because there's so many thoughts, but it just, it doesn't make sense to me in any regard. If we're looking at it from a holistic perspective, we want to develop human beings. We want to develop children into um, productive members of society who are good to other people, failure there. If we want to develop a strong winning team that drives a business and brings in money we're failing there i don't actually know what we're doing other than existing and not in a way that's helping anyone i don't even know who it helps other than predators actually any part of this system because there's nothing that a lot of these girls that come to us at least i think we're noticing kind of back to your question of what are we seeing on the player's side the 10 year olds are the ones who speak up for themselves and who aren't quiet and who are willing to share. The teenagers we work with are fearful of judgment, are fearful of talking, and are not as willing to speak. The women who want to mentor for us, many of them had these issues happen in their life and didn't have role models or dealt with abusive coaching or other issues. So it's kind of a mixture of we're trying to put band-aids on things that are problems, and we're trying to foster behaviors that are good and almost developing skills for how young players can avoid harm. We're trying to get them to cope and deal in a system of, let's try to not have to deal with this coach or have to work around a problem rather than blossom and have that support that growth. There's a lot of issues and none of it's productive. I agree. And I'm so tired of having to try to reinvent the wheel because the system's not going to change. Let's freaking change the system. This is the turning point. Like actually do something U.S. soccer. If you, if anyone is listening that works for them, I'm so tired of it. I, it it's so ridiculous how, you know, I, I think for me, the most frustrating thing for my generation too, maybe you agree with this, Rachel, is when we were younger, there weren't a thousand different pop-up leagues and organizations that created themselves because they didn't like the original system 
They just, and so instead of trying to fix the original system, they made another one, the competitor system. And then those systems both suck. Like here in California, we have Cal North and NorCal. Cal North was the original Northern California league that all the teams played in and people didn't like it. So they started NorCal and both of those systems are flawed. And we deal with the coaches, parents, and players from a lot of those organizations. And that doesn't mean that any of those in particular individuals are bad. It means that the system they're in is not working. And we're trying to put out fires and stick on band-aids and it's not working. And I'm not sitting here saying I have the end all be all answer, but we sure as shit have some ideas that are worth trying that are better than what's being offered right now. Rachel, what do you what do you think? You might be go on forever. <laughs> yeah, well, as you guys both um, spoke, the the thing I kept coming back to was just like, where's the respect, you know? And and that is on that is from every person in the myriad of the soccer experience, you know. So where is the respect from the coach? to the kid, to the kid, to the coach, to the parent, to the DOC, you know, the coach to the DOC respecting if the DOC comes to you and says, Hey, you know, this is what we're going to do. Cause this is what we value. And if, if, if this is something you as a coach are not willing to do, then, then you need to coach somewhere else because it really is, that's where the change is going to have to come. But I guess going back to the respect thing, you know, like Haley said, I mean, why wouldn't you want your players to feel fully supported and respected in their efforts and what they're doing now? Does that mean they're always going to come perfect? No, that's part of the job of coaching is motivating and finding that and connecting with that player to figure out, okay, how do they respond and helping when a player does come to you and says that if they've learned self-advocacy, which certainly this generation has more of, and to your point, Haley, I think it's interesting, right? We know these, the, the tween years, they actually can be a little more vocal, but then as they get into their teenage years, they can start to become less vocal, um, or, and less confident and less self-esteem because of the environment they're in. Um, but how, what, you know, what what better way to motivate than through respectful you know interactions and helping and 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 that doesn't mean that it's just positive all the time you know it's saying hey you know Cassie it seems like you're really off today like you you should have made those shots and then you know oh yeah you know I'm I am like having really bad cramps right now or whatever it is not an excuse but just like self-reflection there and just like okay well you got this rather than you know, get, getting in their face, what's wrong with you? You know, you have to make, you know, whatever it is. I just, it always comes back to that human connection and the, the respect. Um, so. Well, and I think that when we decided to record this, we were going to try to be really organized about our points in this. And as you can see, our emotions take over because this is hard. This is really hard. And we're not even those girls that have direct experience and that are the ones in the report. I can only imagine what they're going through today and um it's a lot and and um i think what i would like to spend the rest of our time on this podcast talking about is what changes we want to see and if any of them are tangible right now and what we could implement and ways to help 
because um, that's what we do. I guess we put out fires if we can't take over the whole system and change it, which is the ultimate goal. Um, but I would say that for me, I want I want our parents, players, and coaches to all feel like they have our support in knowing that we're here for them and that we do have a lot of ideas on how to help. And so um, the first thing I want to you know, talk about when it comes to changes that should be made so that stuff like this doesn't happen at any level, um, in my particular opinion, everything that we implement needs to happen from the youngest ages um, all the way up to the top. And I think that's one of my biggest issues is how, you know, U.S. soccer is kind of starts at 14, right in the middle of those teenage years that are really um, not easy. And I think that we need to have something that's a little bit more seamless. But in my opinion, um, education is the, is the biggest piece of this that needs to, to change. We need to have a better education system when it comes to childhood development within sport the social emotional learning and skill sets, the um, executive functioning skills of children and adults. If we expect professionalization from our youth playing, we need to expect it from the youth coaching and the parents watching. And we need to have the professionalization at all those leagues and different levels, whether it's collegiately, professionally and whatnot. So education in my opinion is the first step. And we can do that. Um, it won't take that much to start implementing small changes when it comes to education, whether that's new courses that need to be um, created in some of these organizations or just the actual changing it from a diploma system to a program where they are evaluated regularly and are given professional development opportunities and expected to take those. And are expected to have background checks and safe sports certifications and all of that. So to me, that's the first step. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I think um, there certainly needs to be a component for for coaches. You know, I it's it's kind of mind blowing that, you know, to to work with young kids that there's no mandated background check or um or, or some child development, it doesn't have to be, you know, a ton, but just like, these are, these are sort of milestones of these ages and, and sort of, and specifically how that affects, um, how that brain development affects the learning of soccer at that development, things like that, um, needs to, needs to probably be honed in some more. So I guess it would be, you know, that the buy-in from, from the DOC making it a priority since it's not currently at the, the higher levels. I'm just thinking, Cass, about the education, you know, becoming a teacher. And like you said, you're evaluated and things like that. You show competency either through your schoolwork or through a, a knowledge test. Um, and then, uh, you know, but they're... Oh, no, I looked up the classwork that I had to take for my credential as well today in preparation for this podcast. And I think there were two courses in the master's program that were just dedicated to educational psychology of childhood development. And the rest were more specific to actual um, subject matter. But I will say this, every single year, I have to take a Keenan Safe Schools, like six or seven different trainings on sexual harassment, uh, suicide, all the different things. I have, to, I have to be certified in all these different areas. 
And then we have trainings at least four to five a year on different curriculums, different management techniques, um, anything that's new. In the world of teaching, there is educational curriculum coming at you all the time and new ways of trying different things. In the soccer world, there really isn't. You know, there's new drills, sure. And to me, it's all smoke and mirrors. It's, it's let's look the part, but let's not actually, you know, serve these girls in a way that is the actual part. It's just, let's look like it, you know? Yeah. One, one thing I, you know, that's a newer, at least, cause a lot of my coaching uh, most recently has been through AYSO and th there is some, you know, they do break it up into the age groups and try to give you some tips in their handbooks for the specific, specific age groups. But, you know, when soccer, uh, when us soccer mandated the FIFA 11 warm up starting, I think it's at the U14 level is when it's mandated. Um, and that's a mandated, you know, because the statistics tell us this, right? Injury prevention and or in, injury reduction. Um, and so all the teams are required to do this. Now, I don't know if they are, but I always did it. I always had my girls do it. I told them why, you know, it's the same thing. We should be implementing this, you know, these, like you're talking about, Cassie, these, these mindset skills that can help them in these social sport situations. Um, but it, it needs to be part of the education for the coaches and then, and then just part of the system. It just needs to be part of the system so that the system can be better and not trying to slap on these band-aids later, you know, just look at the, just look at it. We we're looking at these NWSL players who are, you know, young adults now, or, or even, you know, full adults and they, they have, they had that experience. We have to, we have to recognize that, you know, and, and look at what happened to, to try to help that system be better so that players don't have to have this because it comes back to the power dynamic. And again, it, then it comes back to respect because if you have respect, then the power dynamic will stay healthy. But if you don't, then the power dynamic shifts and that is a problem. I think we can get education from everywhere. Um, a big one for us that we use for our own education is our staff is safe sports certified, which is essentially a public safety aspect of what we do in sport, where we are learning about emotional abuse and verbal abuse and finding warning signs. I know, Cassie, we've talked about some people kind of reach out to us, like, what should we be looking for and stuff like that? That education and those resources are there for coaches, players, and parents to access. And a lot of coaches are required by their clubs or leagues to do that kind of training, but it's not mandatory. But that's something that we can kind of see those kind of warning signs and kind of get to understand a bit more. Um, what does abuse look like? That's not something we necessarily focus on as much at our um, in our organization, and we think Safe Sport is an awesome resource that can offer that kind of stuff. But we're talking specifically about kind of what this report talked about and those issues related to sport. But there is a lot of great education out there. And I would say to parents specifically, it's hard for your youth player to necessarily know what is and isn't good because their brains are developing. They're not the ones who, at the youngest ages, 
necessarily have the responsibility or should have the responsibility of understanding those differences, but parents can do that education. And also, I think it's about the education piece kind of also ties into opening channels of communication, telling, educating your, your player, your child about, you know, it's a, telling them, if you want to talk to me about something because something makes you feel weird or something was off and expressing yourself and expressing your feelings, when they come to you and you're like, mm, in your head, maybe like, oh, that doesn't seem that weird, validating the respect, validating their feelings. And a lot of this stuff about how to kind of communicate these issues and kind of helping them learn how to process and communicate these things is very tied to that education piece. It's educating your child. It's coaches educating their, their players. But um, a big thing with the respect is if anything makes you feel less than human at any point during a, at a leisurely sports experience, like soccer is not mandatory. Soccer is not something you have to do. It's something that is recreational. And of course it gets more competitive, but I would say to anyone, if something makes you feel weird inside, communicate that. And us being a resource, other organizations being a resource of how to kind of process those things and use them productively and kind of seeking out those educational resources can kind of do, I guess, make a little difference if we can't necessarily break a system but parents are the ones with money. They're the ones who decide how clubs run at the end of the day. They cannot go to that club and that club's done. And if we can educate our parents, coaches and players to say, this isn't good enough, then that is probably how we're gonna be able to break the system most efficiently. Absolutely. I, I love your point about, you know, this doesn't feel right. Say something every night before my daughter goes to sleep. Um, she tells me about her day and she's like, something bothered me. And, and then she'll tell me what it is. And then she goes, oh, my stomach feels better. And it's just our little time to kind of connect and to talk about what happened in the day. And when she gets it off her chest, she physically feels better because a lot of females hold all of this in and it becomes a physical issue rather than just an emotional or mental issue. And, um, like you just mentioned, Haley, it made me think about how, um, we get a lot of parents reach out to us at female footballers. A lot of parents who see this stuff going on with their daughter, they can tell she's quiet. They don't know why. Sometimes it is because of emotional abuse. Sometimes it is because of verbal abuse. Sometimes I'm sure it has, you know, been because of sexual abuse, sadly. Um, but all of these things are happening and they're crazy happening with a lot. And it's creepy. And we don't always know about it because girls aren't talking. And a lot of parents come to us and they're like, we want to have you come out and work with us. And the coach doesn't really find it necessary or the club doesn't find it necessary. If you're a parent and you've experienced that, that's a red flag. If a club doesn't value a female organization coming in to talk about confidence, that's weird to me. That's where my stomach goes, what? And sure, if it's like a legality and they're not allowed to contract with outside organizations, whatever, I get that. But if it's because, um, I don't know, they, they don't feel like it's necessary, then you need to push harder and say, well, what are you providing my child with that is going to support the emotional and mental wellness for my kid? And if they don't have an answer to that, again, red flag. I would be, as a parent, not always pounding your coach because the coach just like a teacher has certain things they have to do 
right? As a teacher, I have standards I have to teach. I don't always get to take the day and do whatever I want with it. I have certain things I have to hit in a day. But my principal and the district and all the upper level echelons, they do determine some of this. So having a conversation with the DOC and saying, you know, what are you offering to support the emotional uh, stability of our players? Start there and then say, you know, if a player has an issue with a coach um, and I don't feel comfortable as a parent talking to the coach about it, do you have a third party that I can come talk to in a youth organization? That might sound crazy, but that should be happening. If we're asking to have HR rep at the NWSL level, we need to have these types of outlets for our youth players, because like they said, it's a systemic issue happening in youth sports too. And so whatever they're gonna provide for the NWSL, in my opinion, needs to be provided at every single level. And if you get pushback for that, that's a red flag, 100%. Thoughts? I mean, I know we can go on and on and on about all of this. And as you can see, we're passionate. We're kind of going all over the place and pinging left and right. But I think that that is, that's what has to happen because we are so frustrated. Um, I think a lot of people are wanting like exactly, um, you know, directions on what to do if something happens. And like Haley said, that, that's not always applicable. You can't always do that. You have to listen to your gut talk to your child, open lines of communication, it demand the education on the coaching and club side. Um, and as parents, you know, when you do have a great experience, also let the club and coaches know. When a club and coach do offer all the things that we're talking about, mental and emotional supports, and it's already laced within your club or experience, let them know how much you value that. And play that up when you're posting your kid's goal on Instagram, Talk about how great their club is in the other ways, not just an individual thing. Um, and again, we could go on and on, but I will I will cut it off here, I guess, and make sure that that we stop. Um, if you have a lot of opinions about the Sally Yates report that just came out in investigation, we want to hear from you. Um, please feel free to comment on our social platforms. Um, if you want to talk about it and you're in a position, whether you're a coach or a parent or a player that's been affected and, and you have a story that you wanna share, we're open to hearing about it. Um, and we just wanna say thank you for listening. And we hope that you were able to find bits and pieces of things that could help you in navigating this crazy experience that is women's soccer. Um, any other last thoughts, Taylor or Rachel? Well, thank you both for being here and thank you guys all for listening and tune in next time and we'll have another great episode coming at you. Thank you so much.